Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I've really missed y'all. Um, you know that it takes me some weeks. I, y'all see me like every day during Impact, and then all of a sudden I'm like disappear. Like you don't know what's happened. That's because I put life on hold for Impact, and then football season starts, and so I have no life. Um, but I'm back at it. Um, but good news. Do y'all remember I've been trying to adopt a little girl for six years? Y'all, we got approved. (laughs) We got approved one day, and then they're like, okay, in about three weeks, you'll get your travel date. And then two days later, they're like, here's your travel date. It's October 20th. And I was like, for like 30 minutes, I like stood. I literally said to my husband when he told me over the phone, I was standing in Walmart. You know how you're like trying to check out, and you're like, say sorry, husband, you know, whatever. And then they were like, Sorry, I can't laugh when I'm talking up here now. Um, they were like, they were like, it'll be $21. And he said, we got our travel date. And I said, wait, what for what? And she was like, oh, for your purchases? I was like, no, sorry, not you. So we have from today six days to get all the rest of the funds to book our travel, to get all the stuff together. But let me give a pause on the excitement to tell you she will not be coming home. This is the first of two trips. So this first one's a little shorter. We're gone about 10 days to two weeks. And then we come back and we wait for a court date. Sorry, this is making me insane, so I'm going to try that. Um, we come back for a court date um, like four weeks later, six weeks later, something like that. And then I stay for like six weeks there um, with her, and she can be with me. Um, some people make that three trips, but if they're going to let me have her for a month, I'm staying for a month. So I'm going to stay with her. And so y'all want to pray for Christmas? Because that would be like the best gift ever. But the expectation is like the end of, end of December, mid-January, something like that. But I want her home for Christmas. I want a huge tree and lots of presents. So I can't wait. Um, of course, you know that all this has brought the reality of what it's like to bring her home. And what it's like for her to actually have a family. And it's going to like rock her world. Because you know she's been in this orphanage for 12 years she turns 13 in four days 13 all of her life spent in that orphanage can you i can't even imagine and one of the hardest concepts that's going to be to get into her is this idea of permanence does that make sense to y'all this idea of mine now hear me when i say my i'm not saying that she's like the sweetest kindest little girl who just shares all that she has no. Um, she usually hits anybody who comes within an area. So if she punches you, it's just, it's just love and affection, like me. So, uh, yeah, so she's very protective. But what I mean by permanence is that there's not been one thing in this orphanage that's been hers. Not one. Not clothes, not a pillow, not a sheet, not a certain bed, not an item of, not anything. Even the things we've given her that are like pictures of her and us are lost. They're gone into the mass of who knows where. So the idea of something being hers and mine and that nobody's going to take it and that I'm going to fight for her to keep it and I'm going to make sure that no one messes with it is going to be really, really challenging to her. She will fight me and manipulate me and rebel against me out of absolute fear. Y'all, changing locations, getting on that plane is not going to change her. That's going to take a lot more. But according to Paul, there is something that does. 
there is one thing that I am hopeful about her changing everything about the way she feels about her and you and her stuff and her interests and your interests, and that's this text today. No lie. According to Paul, that when the gospel comes into your life, things change, and they change truly and really. In fact, we can say it so surely that we can say it like this. If there has been no change in your life, it means that you might start becoming very worried that you have no gospel at all. I want you to picture that if right now, today, Lyra screams out in frustration or anger that she has a mom and a dad. You know all the rest of the kids in that orphanage are going to go, well, then where are they? Because if you've got a mom and a dad, you don't grow up in an orphanage. If you have a functional family, you don't get placed in an orphanage. So they would tell her to prove it. And in the same way, Paul believes that about the gospel. He believes that if you have the gospel, then you will truly have so many more things going along with it. Because God, Paul believes that the gospel is alive and real and active. He believes it works from the inside out and it changes and reprioritizes and reshifts every single thing in your life. He believes that when you die with Christ, when you are raised with Christ, when you are risen with Christ, when you are seated with Christ, that that reality of Christ is in you, flows through you, affects everything in your world. It produces change in us. He really does believe that you are dead in your sins, but he believes even more strongly that you are alive in Christ. He gave you his lifeblood flowing through you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That life is real, and these changes are not optional. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, That no good tree bears bad fruit. No bad tree bears good fruit. You will know the people around you by their fruit. By the fruit of their lives. And that fruit is what Paul is talking to the Philippians about in today's passage. Starting in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and going all the way through the end of this book. For the rest of your time in the book of Philippians, Paul is going to give one command after the other. He's going to tell them to do this and stop doing that and start letting that happen and stop letting that happen. He's going to talk to certain people. He's going to commend them for what they're doing over here and he's going to tell these two women they need to cut it out. Over and over he's going to do this because Paul is asking them to do what Tyler did such a great job on last week, putting things into practice. Look at this first one, starting from last week. Can you just flip flip that for me? This one from last week. Only let... The manner of life, your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel. Let your manner of life, this is the way you live, it's the way you talk, it's the choices you make, it's your attitudes about things, it's the way you respond to suffering, it's the way you respond to victory, your manner of life, let all of that be worthy of the gospel. Let it stand up to the gospel. There is a conduct that has the gospel behind it, that when you see that conduct, you're like, yes, that goes along with the gospel. And then there's a whole set of conducts that disrespect it that cheap it, 
cheapen it. It nullifies it. It has nothing to do with the gospel. And Paul's going to spend the rest of the time in the book of Philippians talking about that. And the first one for us is today. Dave gave me four verses because he knew if he gave me more, we'll go long. So I get four verses today starting in chapter 2 going one through four. If you have your Bible, read it with me. If not, it'll be on this screen. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, if there is any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by having the same mind, being in the same love, full accord and one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility... Consider others, count others more important than yourself. Look not only, let each of you look not only to the interests of your own, but also to the interests of others. This is the conduct that Paul starts off with. That he says is worthy of the gospel. And we're going to look at this little bit by little bit. And we're going to do it backwards. So let's start in verses 3 and 4. Let's look at what are the commands of Christ that Paul is telling us. There are four of them. They'll be on the next screen. There's two negatives and two positives. Don't do this. Start doing this. If you mark in your Bible, it'd be a good idea starting here to start kind of putting some sort of mark that as you come back to the book of Philippians later, you can say, oh yeah, that's where the commands start. This is a command of God. The first two that are negative are do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. And the other one, look not only to your own interests, And then the positives, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, and then the others, but also look to the interests of others. Four in total, not this, but that. The fruit that others are supposed to taste in your life so that they can know we belong to Jesus is this. So let's think about that. Ambition. We know what ambition is. You see somebody, it's football season. All you get is football. That's all you get. So we see somebody who's a good receiver, and they decide they want to be a great receiver. Well, there's a lot of great receivers at Temple. Praise God, because that means we have job security. So there's a lot of great receivers in Temple right now. But what sets apart the great receiver, the excellent receiver, the one who has ambitious about receiving? Well, I can tell you, it's about the amount of time he puts in. It's about the amount of time he lifts, about the amount of time he runs. We're talking about off hours when everybody else is done. He's doing three more reps, four more drills. He's catching 17,000 more balls than they are. He's asking his coaches to come up early. He's asking them to stay up late. He's talking to them during the middle of the game about what adjustments he can make to his breaks. He is ambitious about being a great receiver. But what makes something a selfish ambition? Because we honestly almost don't even know how to separate those two. Because by definition, it is my ambition, isn't it about me? What makes it selfish? Usually, with football players, as with the rest of us, their ambition is selfish ambition. It is about me. I'm going to be the best. I want to be the best receiver. I want to have more balls in my hand. I want to make the best cuts. I want the colleges looking at me. This is selfish ambition and conceit. What about you? If I could look into the deepest parts of you, 
If I could see into your goals and your dreams and your desires and your passions, would I find out that they all spin around the little sun called you? Does everything you want out of this life, out of today, does it center on you and your ambitions? Is this life all about you? It's so common and so natural for us to think about our goals and our ambitions as about us. We almost don't really question whether or not it's selfish. Until the word God makes us question it. Do nothing, not one thing, out of selfish ambition or conceit. That's so counter to the way that we usually think that Paul notes we we need the opposite to know what in the world he's talking about. So he gives it to us in humility. Humility is the opposite of selfish ambition and conceit. In humility, consider others more significant than yourself. So think about the receiver on that team. Selfish ambition is going to say, I'm going to be the best receiver. I'm going to beat all of you. Humble ambition says, I will work hard. It may be harder than all the rest of you, but I will do so so that we get better. I want to help you get better. Hey, man, stay with me after. I'll throw you some, you throw me some. No, man, you got that ball. I'm so proud of you. You know what? It's not when the receiver, and it happens every single year, that there's some star receiver on the JV when they're a sophomore, caught every single ball for a touchdown, get up to varsity, And they usually spend junior year in a little bit of a pout. Because they're not used to somebody else getting that touchdown catch. They're not used to the quarterback not even looking their direction. And hear me, our quarterback is supposed to check all of his reads. But when you've got huge people trying to kill you, it's really hard to concentrate sometimes. So he usually, in a rush, in a panic, looks to that one guy he knows he can count on. Sometimes, most often, it's that star senior receiver who has been there with him rep after rep after rep. And this junior guy is now catching two balls a game, one ball, there just to make blocks. And you'll see him come off the field. All the offense will sit down, start listening to the coaches, and there'll be that one guy, throws his helmet down, takes off down the field. Every game. Selfish ambition. He doesn't care that this guy is doing fantastic, that his team as a whole is up. He cares what happened to him. He wants his ambitions. He wants it to be all about him. And if it doesn't happen for him, he certainly doesn't care that it's happening for you. In humility, you are not more significant than he is. What about you? What's important to you? The whole group or you? When it comes to your looks or your talents or your gifts or your ambitions, your grades, your talents, those group projects. Do you hate group projects like I used to hate group projects? Some of you are like, no, because I get help. And others of you are like, yes, because it's less than I would normally get. Do you count others more significant than you? If you're not used to being the guy with the best grade, the girl that kind of makes the A, 
Are you upping your performance because those people are more significant than you? If you're the one who usually has the always, you're worried about your GPA. Are those people in the group project more significant than you? Does your grade not matter as long as they improve? As long as they feel valued? Are your ambitions about yourself or about the whole? I don't mean are you helpful. You can be helpful. What Paul says is, is their success more significant to you than your own? Let me bring it home to me. Do you know what I love? Me. Do you know what's fun about being old? There are no children in my house. Now there are because Camilla, but she has a mom. Which means a lot of my time is spent on whatever I want to do and it doesn't suck. (laughs) I get up usually about when I feel like getting up. Isn't that nice? I eat when I feel like it and I have money. I can go get whatever I want to eat. And if I feel like working on some macrame or if I feel like studying all day or laying in bed all day, do you know I get to do it? And I have one of those crazy sweet husbands who are like, oh, I'm so glad you needed a break. And I'm like, I'm just lazy. But So he's up at like 5.30 to like 11.30 every day. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Bye, because we need cash. Bye. Do I offer to go get a job? No, I'm not stupid. Did y'all know all that's about to come to a screeching halt? Do you think that's going to be fun for me? Let me put it like this. A girl who's 13, grown up only in an orphanage, with all the baggage that goes along with it, who has special needs, developmentally delayed at the least, her file says autistic, she speaks not one word of English. (laughs) And she's pretty violent. Now, does that sound like fun to you? Because it doesn't sound like fun to me. In the day-to-dayness, y'all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a wreck. I'm going to be so tired. In order to count her more significant than myself, it's going to cost us. It's already cost us to the tune of almost $70,000. It's going to cost me my mornings, my evenings, my every day. The word for when people say, how do you feel like you're going to treat her? I always say, Velcro. Like I have a new buddy. She doesn't go where I'm not. She doesn't, she, I can't trust her to be with Cam without doing art. She may not. She loves smaller things, so maybe not. Until Cam reaches for that thing that she loves. And then that fear is going to trigger. She's never been around men. There's only one man in the whole orphanage. He's the director, and they never really talk to him. So she's only known women. So Wayne's response to her, she loves Wayne. She loves the idea of Papa. But when he has to discipline her or something, it's going to go very, very strangely for her. She's never been on a plane, never been on a train, been on a bus maybe about six times in her life, never been outside of this town that she can remember. We don't cook food that they eat. We don't speak what they speak. So let me put it like this. How excited am I that Lyra's coming home? 
really, really excited. <laughs> like really, really, really excited. Because God has done something in me for this little girl. He has given me so much of himself that I'm longing to go away so that she can exist, thrive, be far better than she is. But in the moment by moment by momentness of it, when you ask me how are things going, I may burst into tears and not enjoy. But because my world is wrecked, that's the reality of what it's like. There's this part of me, all that's writhing around inside of me. Still wants what she wants whenever she wants it, and she likes to get her way. I love looking to my own interests. I do not love looking to the interests of others. It is still not instinctive in me in so many areas. God has changed so much of me. But then I find these little pockets which the gospel truth has to penetrate down into. Do you love looking out for the interests of others more than your own interests? I'm not talking about your best friends, by the way. I'm not talking about your friend group. That's easy. Because they give to you and you give to them. I'm talking about your mom and dad. I'm talking about your little brothers and your little sisters. I'm talking about those people at school that have nothing in common with you. I'm talking about that teacher that's making you insane. Do you look to their interests as much as you look to your own? If I watched your life, is this what I would find? Notice that I didn't say others' interests instead of your own. Paul knows we need to look to our own interests, but that's natural. But do your interests get all of your attention, or do they just get some? If I asked other people around you, I'm not going to ask your buddy. I'm going to ask your other classmates, and I'm mostly going to ask your family. Do their interests become your interests? Or do you, when your little brother or little sister starts telling you something a million miles an hour about what you do not care about, I walk to them and say, what do you love? Does your sister love that too? Does your brother know about that too? Would their eyes light up and say, yes. They love to do things with me. They love what I love. Guys, do you honestly think I'm going to another high school football game if my husband passes away? I mean, I will for the first year because we love those boys, right? But I did not grow up with a passion for high school football. Do, I can find other things to do on Thursday and Friday nights. I would love a husband who comes home at a normal time. We have dinner with my husband one night a week that starts at 8.30 with 15 other football players. It is not easy, but it is my life. Do the boys in my life, if you talk to them, will they say, oh, yeah, she cares about what interests us. It's the reason we have an Xbox, for goodness sakes. Do they have your time and attention? But you might say, so here's a big one. Yeah, I pay attention to other people's interests all the time. I give them a double tap, snap them back, retweet. 
I'm talking about the people who are right next to you. Y'all, in today's society, the world would say, I care all about everybody else's interests. I'm, I'm always looking at other people's interests. I'm always counting other people more significant. The world does that. What God's people are known for is you and me face to face. If I watched your day, do other people outside of the people sitting next to you count more than the people next to you? Does the world on Twitter matter more? Do you care what Kanye is doing? Which is stupid right now, what that man is up to. Is Bay getting all of your attention? Much more so than the people sitting at this table with you. Do you choose who you pay attention to based upon your own interests, your own likes, your education, your wealth, your family's position, your school? Is it reoriented around the whole of the earth, the whole of God's people, to those who don't look like you, sound like you, talk like you? Y'all, this is hard. And I feel like, honestly, some of the reasons that we don't read the scriptures is that we're concerned there's more things like this in here, right? It's hard to stare into the scriptures and to see ourselves as we really are. Filled with conceit, not humility. Filled with ambition for ourselves and not for others. Looking to our own interests, not to the interest of others. But remember, we started for a reason back at verse 1, because Paul does not come here and say, all right, Let's get busy. I need you to go try harder at the following 74 things. Because he knows you'll fail. So what Paul does is shows you the way that humble ambition, counting others more significant than you, simply comes out of your life like fruit off of a tree. The tree doesn't try really hard to produce an apple. It just produces an apple because it's an apple tree. Apple trees bear apples. If we want apples, but we're getting oranges, that is not a problem with the tree. It's a problem that we have the wrong tree. All of these things that are going wrong in our lives is because we're not being the kind of people that produce this kind of fruit. So Paul takes us backwards from verse 3 back to verse 2. Look at this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and having one mind, being. He's going back to who you are as a person instead of just telling you what to do. This is the people we have to be in order to have the fruit of humble ambition in our life. And he says all of that fruit comes from oneness, from unity in the body. He's saying it's not enough for you to be aware of Christ. It's not enough for you to focus on your own gifts or what you can do or what you bring to the table. You have to be people that care about the whole of God's people. You have to get there side by side, striving together for the gospel. We have to be people who have one purpose and one aim. We can't be like, well, the elderly are over here, and our parents are up there, and our little sister's down here, and we're over here, and we're all together, and we have a lot in common now. We're going to break and go back home. It's why I love Impact so much. I am very, very purposeful when I'm making the teams for Impact. 
I do not need a whole team of storytellers. And then a whole team of athletes or those who love to play games. And a whole team of Rileys who just love skits and imagination and come up with brilliantly bad ideas. I don't need a whole group of people who love to be one-on-one with people and a whole group of people who love to be a part of a large group and get real excited about things. I don't need a whole bunch of leaders and a whole bunch of followers. What I need is a team who's completely diverse. I need guys and gals. I need different races. I need different personalities. I need different skill sets. Because if I gave them all athletes who love to play, it might serve you really well. You'd have a lot of fun but the kids would not. Now, two of them would, right? Three might. But we can't meet the needs of all of the kids in front of us if I only send one kind of person, which is why the teams get this weird mix of a storyteller and a leader and an athlete or a guy or a girl who loves to play games, somebody who's really kind of quiet and someone who's really big and loud. Now, every team can't have everything. There's a limited number of kids, but that's my goal, is to get to the people who are out front and the people who love to come back so that when we get in front of the kids, the athlete down there is met and the storyteller is met and the one who memorizes stuff well is met and the one who can't remember anything is met and the little girl off to the side who's wounded is met and the little boy who only wants to play basketball is met. We put together these really diverse teams And nothing completes my joy more than the end of those days when y'all come back in. And you're running with your team. And somebody, because I gave you a detailed person, actually remembered the basket. And you run in, and there's music playing, and you're cheering for one another, and you slam that basket down, and you are done for the day. And there's this huge celebration, and for just a small moment, standing on stage, I get this little taste of what it's to be like. When the kingdom of God comes to earth as it is in heaven. When all the diverse nations are gathered together and all the diverse gender and all the diverse gifts and talents, looks, abilities, all comes together with this one streaming joy of the kingdom of God is at hand. But then what happens? We all go back home, right? And it's like a switch flips. Because now we're back with our moms, we're back with our dads, we're back with our brothers and our sisters. We're not with the people we really like. Now we're out there. And you don't have a basket in your hands, so you don't have to be on. Guys, I don't tell you to be on for impact, so you'll learn to turn it off. I tell you to be on so you can practice for never turning it off. So as you go back to your house, your mom gets the woman coming in her door who in humility actually counts her mother as more significant than her. So she's not throwing her stuff down anywhere she wants. She doesn't leave dirty clothes all over the place. She doesn't dismiss her sister and say, I'm too tired, I don't care about what you're saying. He's not walking in the door and shutting off. He was able to tell a story, start a game, counsel a kid under a tree, and he comes in and his parents say, how's it going? Good. I'm tired. Click. Guys, this gospel, unity, is meant to start like a spark and something like impact and teach you the joy of what it means when you gather people together and you humble yourself and you reduce yourself in order to give to others. 
count them more significant than yourself. It's why I love impact. But it's why I long for impact to make much more of an impact in us as the years you participate go forward. So how do we become different kind of people who are one mind and one purpose and are in full accord outside of this? Well, Paul tells us. He doesn't just leave us here and say, you need to go be a different kind of tree. Go do it. He tells you how by backing us up to verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then he says, complete my joy. This is the root system. This is the soil in which the tree is nourished. This is what changes the tree from the inside out. Paul, Jesus called himself the vine and told us if you, if you abide in him, if you're grafted into him, then the lifeblood that flows up through his roots will flow into you and you will produce what you have never produced before. You will become the kind of people who look and taste like the vine of Jesus Christ. Paul sends us right back to the gospel. He asks them to know the truth of what they have in Christ, who they are, what are they promised because of the gospel. You can only care about other people more than yourself if you know that you are taken care of. If your success is up for grabs, you will focus on your success. If your provision is at question, you will not be able to focus on other people's provision. Unless you know who you are in Christ, you will never be able to turn to this world so full that you overflow fruit of the gospel to them. What if you knew your success was sure? What if you knew that your provision was sure? What if you didn't have to be worried about being loved or seen or valued or whether or not you had worth? What if if you knew that God loved you with the very love he has for his son, John 17? What if he knew that every hair on your head, every concern of yours is his concern as well? How much of an encourager could you be if you knew that every moment of every single day you have someone who is on your side, working for your good, supports you, cheers for you, is working good for you? In other words, if you knew you were rich, could you be generous? Because you are. In Christ, you are so rich in relationship with God. In Christ, that's Paul's favorite summary of the gospel words. He loves little prepositions. In Christ is his favorite. In Christ. You were dead in your sins, but now in Christ you are made alive together with him. It's by grace you've been saved. In Christ you were raised to new life. In Christ you were ascended into heaven with him. You are seated in Christ. Colossians 3, your life is hidden in Christ with God. That's your new reality. This is the summary of what you have because of the gospel. You are alive in Christ. Guys, the Bible is clear. You were once an orphan. 
You did not have a father, but now you have a father. He cares for you like he cares for his own son. You were alienated for God, but now you have been brought near to God. His right hand of protection is yours. Your future is not determined by fate or by grades or by people. Your fate is up to God. The movement of God in your lives is sure, and it is for your good as well as for his glory. You are not the sum of your failures. You are not destined to something because of your family. You are not alone. You have a God. The God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, is your father. Or is he not? Because frankly, it's possible that he's not. It's possible that you just like hanging around Christians. It's possible that you've just heard about this your whole life and that the reason there is no fruit like consider others more significant than yourself, the reason that's it's just so stingy, so hard, you try for a little while and it just kind of falls off again, is because you are not connected to the vine. Do not be ashamed if today is the first day you have actually heard the gospel. He is not ashamed to call you yours at any age. Do not be ashamed to call him yours today. The reality you face is you have to be done with you in order to have Christ. You can't have such passion for yourself and to have passion for Jesus Christ. They are at war with one another. But if you do, if you have made that decision, then all I just said is already yours. You are so full. You are so rich. You are so loved. You are so fought for. You are so accepted in Christ. So let me ask you this. Is there any encouragement to you from that? Is there any encouragement to you that you are in Christ? When you think about him, when you think about who you are and what he has done and what he has promised to you, Does that lift your soul? Do you focus on it? Do you meditate on it? Do you dwell on it? If there's any comfort from love, is there any comfort to you for his love for you? Any awe and wonder from the understanding that who he is for Christ, he is for you. The love that he has for his son is yours in the midst of the hardest things in your life, whatever the frustrations are, if it's six years of your daughter being in an orphanage, do you receive any comfort from the love of God? Is there any participation in the Spirit? Do you feel Him helping to lift your life, to equip you? Do do you read the Bible to get to know Him? And does the Spirit open your eyes more and more to the truths you find there? Do you feel God equipping you with gifts and with talents for the work of the gospel? Do you find yourself relying on him and asking him for help and guidance and hope and truth? Can you see the growth of the Holy Spirit's influence in your life? Is there any participation in the Spirit? Do you have any affection and sympathy for others? The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you feel any growing affection for them? 
any sympathy, when they give you crap into your life, when they give you words of disrespect and rude and mean and bullying, is there any growing affection for your enemies as Christ had affection for you as his enemies? Do you find yourself understanding more and more why if they lack Christ, why would they have any grace toward you? If they don't have a father, why would they act like anything but an orphan fighting for their own lives? Paul says, if if you get this, if there is any of this, then he says the next part, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, having one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's how this flows from the root of who you have in Christ to becoming different kind of people who are in one accord with one another. So what flows from us is lives that push you forward, puts me back knowing that I will be pushed all the way forward because of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gents, if you find yourself having trouble with verse 3 and 4, go back to verse 2. And if the kind of person you are, you find yourself being convicted by, go back to verse 1. Do not duct tape fruit onto your tree by trying really harder. I'm going to try hard. I'm getting this thing today. We're going to be be the kind of people that count others more significant. You will last for a little while, just like fruit from Walmart duct taped to your tree in the back. will last for a little bit and then rot off and fall away. For lasting change to happen, we have to root ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, much like Lyra, we will know when she gets the fullness of who we are for her by her behavior. If she knows that her supply is secure, if she knows that the love of a father and a mother is hers, if she knows that she has sisters who will fight anyone to get hers to stay hers, If she understands that our money is hers, our home is hers, that's her bed, that's your room, Lyra. No one's going to take it away. We hope that the very pouring out of love into her means she grows more and more secure, becomes a different kind of person who looks at people differently. No more rivalry, no more selfish ambition in Lyra. In humility, she might even offer Cammie some goldfish. She might say, no, 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 I don't, I don't need any more. No, I'm, I'm actually full. Because I know I don't have to gorge myself with food because more is coming. I'm confident of my supply. Guys, your sin matters. It matters that you obey Christ. But it matters how you obey Christ. Do not try to make yourself into a different person. Know that Christ, through his Holy Spirit, will make you into different people when you ground yourself in the reality of who he is and through him who you have become to God. Grow the fruit of being humbly ambitious, humbly thinking of others as much as you do yourself by rooting yourself into the humility of Christ. And that's what you're going to hear more about next week while I'm in Ukraine trying to bring home a little girl. 
so that I can day by day count her more significant than myself, look only to, not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of hers, since you know already this is going to wreck my world. I would love for your prayers for us as we go, and know that I've been praying all week for you on this topic as you leave from here. So let me pray, and we'll actually have time to do your questions. That's so rare. Let me pray. A long time. No, not really. Father, we're asking that you would do this for us by the power of your Holy Spirit, because frankly, if you do not, we are, we're duct tape fruit people. We will start and stop things. We will try really hard, and then it will fade away. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to travel back from the commands of Christ to who we are in Christ, to why we can know it's sure in Christ. Teach us how to be encouraged with you. Teach us how to have comfort from your love. Teach us how to participate in the Spirit. Teach us how to be affectionate, to grow in sympathy for others because of the value and the truth and the worth and the glory of what you have for us in Christ. And do it not so that we start looking really, really fantastic, but so that people would watch our lives and they would say, how in the world could they just keep going like that? And our only answer would be, because of Christ. Holy Spirit, root us in the truth of the word. Root us in the truth of the gospel. Flow the lifeblood of your spirit through us that we might be people who produce and harvest by elevating others instead of ourselves just as your son did. Help us to have his mind. Help us to count on the exaltation to come as harvest enough, as kingdom enough, as world enough for us. Do it all for the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.